Our reading this morning starts at Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, and this can be found on page 13 of the Church Bible. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name grace, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they sat out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. The reading continues on chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliza of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the words of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. And the reading continues again at verse 13. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and ill-treated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much. Now, I want to ask you to guess what tune is this? Can we guess? You've guessed correctly. So I can't play the mouth organ after all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, 
how accurate that tune would be is entirely dependent on the person who is blowing it. Nothing to do with the mouth organ. Of course, it never sounds like the flute. The accuracy of the tune depends entirely on the person who is blowing it. Isn't it interesting that Paul says all scripture is God-breathed? He used that expression. He doesn't say some scripture or most of scripture. He says all scripture is God-breathed. In other words, the source of all scripture from Genesis to Revelation is God-breathed. The accuracy is not dependent on the people who wrote these things. It's dependent on God. There are no myths in the Bible. A myth is something initiated by man. The whole of Scripture is initiated by God. Oh, there's pictorial language, of course. There's descriptive language. There's observatory language. We talk about sunrise and sunset. Now, we all know it's not the sun that moves. It's the earth that goes around. But it's accurate to say the sunrise. And it's about this pictorial language, descriptive language. But there are no myths. Myth has a human origin, and basically, myth is a lie. People try to explain something they don't understand, put up a story, and it's believed over the centuries. In the Bible, there are no myths. God uses people. But the message in every part of the Bible is from God. And that's why we're going through the Bible. I would never base my life, my morals, my values on a myth. I would be stupid if I did. We base our values, our lives, our aims on the Bible because it's God-breathed. The Bible tells us how we are here, why we're here, why we live in a broken world, the problem of sin, and more important, the destiny that we have, the future we have. And from the very start, we're told God has a plan. And we're going through the Bible to see God has a plan. The history is not just aimless. We're not just drifting along. We're not at the mercy of physics or whatever it is. God has a plan. And actually, there's no B plan or C plan. People make B plans and C plans because they're not sure, will the plan work? God has a plan, no other plan. There's no need for another plan. It's not a science book or a history book. It does contain science and history. But there are no myths from Genesis to Revelation. And interestingly, we seem to be at the center of the universe. God created a universe, a vast universe. And interestingly, in the plan of God, we see we are at the center of his universe. Sadly, of course, because of our free will. We've created problems for ourselves. But God has a plan. And in this plan, he turns what appears to be a disaster into something much more wonderful. Amazingly, what God is creating in the end is something much more wonderful if, than if we had never sinned. God has chosen a relationship. He created Adam and Eve to have a relationship with him. They were made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. They turn away from God. 
and God is actually having a plan and working out his plan, the end product will be far more wonderful. And in Genesis chapter 12, we see God beginning to unfold his plan. And in unfolding his plan, God chooses a person. Interestingly, God is not reliant on us. God doesn't need Abraham. God doesn't need us. He chooses to use us. At the right time, God chose Abraham, a man. Do you remember the days when you were a youngster and you were playing a game and they were all here in a line and two captains went out and you were choosing a team? Do you remember those days? Playing hockey or football or whatever it was, netball. And if you were good, you were chosen. And if you wanted you to sat there, nobody wants me. <laughs> God chose, why did he just chose Abraham? What was it about Abraham? And as we see the life of Abraham, we find one word keeps on again and again and again, faith. From God, the message is grace. From our point, the word is faith. And all the way through, we see Abraham just believed God. Interesting to note that actually God had spoken to Abraham before Genesis 12. In Genesis 11, just the verse just before we read this, Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lot of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abraham, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. But they came to Haran and they settled there. So in Genesis, the verse previous to chapter 12, we see that Terah, the father of Abraham, took the family to go to Canaan. But they came to Haran, stopped there, and said, no, we, we, we will stop there a while, and stayed there. We go to Acts, chapter 7, and we find Stephen actually fills in the picture. He said, actually, what really happened, the, the, the full picture is God spoke to Abraham. Abraham said to his dad, come on, we've got to go. God is calling us to go to Canaan. Where's Canaan? I don't know. We've got to go. He persuades his father, but by the time they reach uh, Haran, the father said, well, yeah, let, let's pause a minute, let's pause. And they stayed there. And of course, Abraham, being the son, he had to wait till his father died. And then God again says, Abraham, come on. That is not a place. I want you in Canaan. So the Lord said, Abraham, leave your country. Abraham, off you go. And Abraham went. Why this particular place? Abraham lived in a civilized land. Scientifically, they were backward compared to us, but actually, intellectually, they were certainly not behind us at all. Abraham was from a very well-known family, comfortable family, wealthy, comfortable, lots of servants. In fact, it appears that there were something about a thousand souls in his actually entourage when they left. He left his country, his home, to go to a place where? And actually, God said, I want you in the crossroads of the world, the ancient world. I want to be right at the center of the cross. People were traveling. I mean, travel was difficult in those days, but it still happened. From the south, from the east, from the west, everybody, wherever they went, they traveled from east to west, from north to south, they went through Canaan. God said, Abraham, I want you right here because I want you to be a visual aid to the nations. Abraham and his descendants were going to be right a visual aid at the center, at the crossroad of the world. And more importantly, of course, through Abraham, God was going to bring Jesus into the world to finally deal with the issue of sin. 
So the first lesson we learn is this. God has a plan. And in his plan, he looks for people. And there's only one condition. Faith, trust me. As we go through the Bible, we find this again and again. Not just influential people. I mean, look at Mary. She was a nobody. Joseph, a nobody. Isaiah was a prince. Amos, the prophet, he was a goat herd. Now, you didn't get lower than a goat herd in those days. God chose people. And God, in his plan, was working through people. Can I stress again? God doesn't need to use us. He chooses to use us that we may benefit. In Luke's gospel, the Pharisees were complaining because the crowds were shouting Hosanna. And the Pharisees and the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke the disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. God doesn't need us to fulfill his purpose. He chooses to use us. Have you ever seen a little girl at the washing up place with her mother? Or a little boy with his dad? When we bought our house, we were getting some sand from the, some, some soil from the front. The Lord had dumped it there to the back. And our grandson said, I'll help you, granddad. And he was helping. I didn't need his help. Actually, he was more of a bother. But actually, he wasn't a bother. Because we bonded. It was a joy for me to see this young lad wanting to help me. It was a joy for him to share. He could say, this is, we've done it together. God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. And actually, it brings joy to God's heart that we respond and say, yes, Lord, I will, I will be part of your gang, as it were, to fulfill your plans. I'm with you, Lord. Another lesson we learn is this. God's timing is different from our timing. Abraham was 75 years old in Genesis 12. He was 100 years old by the time that Isaac was born in chapter 21, is it? God has a plan, but he's not rushed. He doesn't need to be rushed. Time is in his hands. The plan is perfect. We human beings, however, sometimes we are impatient, aren't we? But God has a plan, but his timing is different. And yet at the same time, God remembers we're human. And we find that because God understood that Abraham was a human being, he didn't just leave Abraham with a promise and that's it. Every now and again, he comes back and says, Abraham, I haven't forgotten. In chapter 15, God reassures him again. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. Do not be afraid. I'm your shield and great reward. And of course, it's read to us. And Abram says, well, okay, Lord, that's fine. Yeah, okay, I, I agree with you. Fine. Maybe Eliezer, my, 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 my chief servant, he'll inherit. No, said God. I said to you, what did I say? Listen to my words. Watch my lips. I'm going to give it to you through an heir. Abram, I'm going to do it. Abraham believed God. All the way through we see Abraham. He's not perfect. He makes mistakes, but he trusts God. God's timing is different to ours. God has a plan. Don't be anxious. But his timing is different from ours. I remember the days in the, you know, gone by when you'd ring up somebody and they say, well, uh, sorry to keep you waiting. And every now and again, you go, sorry to keep you waiting. 
Sorry to keep you waiting. And now, of course, we've got a big machine saying, well, you're, you're number five. And you're number four. In other words, don't worry, we haven't forgotten you. And isn't it an encouragement? Whereas at one time, there was just silence, waiting and waiting. Have they gone? Is, are they still there? Will they answer me? God realizes we need reminding. Abraham, of course, being human, gets it wrong. And he decides, oh, yeah, I know what it is. Yes, yeah. Okay, God, I know, promised me, I'll have to use IVF. Well, in those days, of course, there wasn't scientific IVF. But if we go to chapter 16, Sarah says, come on, Abraham, we're not going to have any children now. We'll do the uh, Middle East, the, the ancient IVF. So take my maid, lie with her, have a baby, she'll be my child. So he does that. He makes a mistake. But actually, God's plan is not thwarted by Abraham's mistakes. God's plan is not dependent on us. It's dependent on God. God's plan is not thwarted, though we're human and make mistakes. Fine, after 25 years of waiting, Isaac is born. We find God repeated, reaffirmed, emphasized. And the Apostle Peter reminds us, of course, with God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day like a thousand years. God's timing is different. God is looking for a person he can use who will respond. Now, Abraham may be a very important person, but of course, as I said, other people are nobody. And do you know what? In God's plan, God wants to use you. The message is God has a plan, a brilliant plan. And amazing, he invites us to share in this plan. You as an individual, us as a church family. God took Abraham and placed him at the crossroads of the ancient history. God has taken us and placed us in this particular spot physically. Why? Because people keep passing by. Oh, we haven't got a main road, but people come to the park. I wonder how wardens have tried to open up. We ought to be open. I'm sorry I wasn't here last uh, Sunday afternoon because some people came along and they were Greek background. I should have been here because I couldn't be here, but I shouldn't have been here. God has placed us here. God has placed you where you are, where you live. Why? You're at the crossroads. For some people's lives, you're at the crossroads of their life. As they're passing through, you're the person they see. You're part of God's plan. Can you believe it? He's chosen you. You're not sitting at the sideline. Nobody wants me. I'm no good. God said, come on, I need you. God kept reminding Abraham. And God keeps reminding us too. But you know, there's also this other problem that Abraham, he lived in a land. He didn't possess a single acre, a single plot. When his wife died, God said, look, everywhere, it's going to be yours. When his wife died, he didn't have a plot to bury her. In those days, agricultural people, well, no, no, not agricultural, but, um, shepherding and so you could travel the land and feed your flock, but it didn't belong to you. So he goes, has to buy a cave. Can I buy this, he said for me. All he had was a cave to bury his wife. God said, it's all yours. But God's timing was different. And God believed it. God actually had gone to the trouble and said, look, Abraham, okay. It is yours, but remember this. 
and outline. He said, it's going to be like this. You're going to go into the, going to be servants. You're going to be abused. And then I will rescue you and bring you back to this land at the right time. It's all yours, but not now. Now is not the right time. God's timing is so different from ours. We just need to trust him. The hymn writer wrote this, we thank him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come. When I look at my life and by any account, really, it's been a, God has blessed me, been very good to me, but there have been difficult times. There have been, you know, great cr- critical times. I thank God for those critical times when, humanly speaking, there was cause for great anxiety. Why? Because I saw how God can be trusted. I saw how God could intervene. I saw that I don't need to worry. I can trust him. I didn't know how he would work it out, but he did. So I look back. I thank him for all that's past, and I can trust him for all that's to come. I remember sitting in, my, in our house and saying to God, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was going to train for the ministry. The house was all packed up. We're going to go to um, Bristol. We'd sold the house. No, we hadn't sold the house. We were buying this house. And everything fell through. And uh, the man rang up to say, you know, it's not on. You you, you can't move. You can't go. I sent Margaret to stay with these people. We're going to stay over the night in friend's house because everything was packed. The house was unlivable. And I said, Lord, if I was on my own, it would be no problem. I could live in a tent. And so God rebuked me and said, oh, so you're saying if you're on your own, you wouldn't need me. But now you need me because you've got a wife and a daughter and a grandma. And you need me. Oh, I said, all right, all right, okay, I get it, my Lord. And then half 20 minutes later, I was there, the phone goes, everything is resolved. I thought, okay, Lord, thank you. God will allow difficulty in your life. And you're human, you'll make mistakes, but God will overrule if you trust him. God wants to reach the point where we can thank him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. God has a plan. Amazingly, incredibly, you're part of that plan. All we need is to trust him. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you so much. From disaster, you create something much more wonderful. Give us grace to trust you and to follow you. We thank you, we praise you in our Savior's name. Amen.